How's it going guys? It's your host, Chewy. And I wanted to add a little preface, if you will, to this first episode of our podcast. Because I feel like after having worked on a few different episodes, the pacing and the structure of this one is quite a bit different. This is more of a documentary style type of thing, where I describe my own experiences, my upbringing, um, around horror media, stuff like that. So... If you feel like that might not be the thing for you, I encourage you to maybe pick a different episode. Otherwise, by all means, go ahead and sit back, relax, and uh, enjoy the content of this first one. How's it going everybody? This is Chewy here speaking to you and I want to give everyone a nice warm welcome to the first installment of my personal horror podcast which I am calling Exploring the Myths Behind the Legends in which I'm gonna dig deep into the vaults of horror movies for you. Uh, eventually down the line I might incorporate other stuff, elements from things like TV shows, video games and books maybe. It's all kind of still up in the air for the moment but in the meantime I do want to focus on some movies. Um, I do want to bring up some of the movies that are either newer or maybe not as widely known to most people. I mean, I am going to touch up on the heavy hitters, you know, the Fight of the 13s, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, etc. But I kind of want to explore some of the more, maybe not necessarily underground, but uh, not as widely known characters in movies, for example. So, um, on this first episode, I'm not really going to focus on any specific movie for the moment. Uh, rather than that, I want to make this kind of like a reference episode, a pilot, if you will, where uh, I'm going to kind of give some background of myself, you know, as far as personal experiences with uh, horror media movies, like I said, primarily for now. Um, maybe identify or try to define what is horror in the sense of the actual definition of the word, in the personal sense. Uh, why it is that people are drawn to horror movies so much. Have you ever wondered about that? I mean, why it is that we pay money to get scared, you know? It's not very pleasant or likable experience, and yet we willingly submit ourselves to go through that, you know? So I'm going to kind of touch up on that, too. Um, I'm also going to touch up on horror as a cultural, not phenomenon, but part of culture. Uh, the relationship of horror to the society or the social themes of a specific time period, for example. Um, I'm also going to identify or give my own personal categories of monsters as far as the way that I would define them personally. And this is just my personal opinion, I mean, just in my experience. Um, you know, I'm going to touch up on, on 
maybe identify what kind of monster Jason is or stuff like that, you know. And um, without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. So first things first, once again my name is Chewy and uh, primarily I have been a musician for the past 20 or so years. I mean, I did get a college degree. <laughs> I majored in psychology. So I guess maybe since I was a little kid I've always been interested in kind of trying to understand and you know why it is people think or act a certain way in specific situations you know I want to be able to also help people I worked in education for for a while eight to nine years maybe um, so I've always kind of had interaction with people and, and try to help them out and, and maybe improving some aspect of themselves you know uh, as far as music goes the reason why I bring that up is because in horror movies, the soundtrack, I believe, is a key element, you know? If you were to take away the music or the sound from any specific given horror scene, I think you would lose pretty much the entire effect. I mean, it's just not the same thing if you mute the scene or, or like, you know, like, you're not gonna get the complete experience, you know? And so, in music, you know, there's really quick, I mean, I'm not gonna get too complicated with this, but it's the major and the minors. You know, it's a big difference. Major, you can think of a song like Mbop by Hanson. You know, it's like a really happy, upbeat song, you know. Whereas a minor song would be a song maybe like pretty much anything by a, an artist like Marilyn Manson, for example. Um, so even in that kind of situation, you can identify, okay, this music isn't really going to fit a specific situation, you know. So it, it's it, it's a different feel, you know. So uh, even when I write my own music, I tend to write in the minor you know, like the darker horror-related <laughs> kind of kind of themes. So it, it's it's something that I've always been drawn to. Um, as far as why and how I got into horror, I have a story where like the first movie that I actually remember watching when I was a little kid must have been like four or five. It was Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight: Jason Takes Manhattan, which over the over the years, you know, I've I've come to realize that it's not one of the most beloved in the franchise like people seem to hate that movie for for a lot of reasons and i understand why that is i mean the the essence of jason changed you know quite a bit from the beginning up until that and then, then the whole thing of course where they don't actually do anything in new york for too long you know uh kind of false advertisement there because they said that jason was gonna like you know pretty much going to killing spree and on times square or whatever and, and that was false by the way so if you haven't seen that movie sorry spoilers um but yes, I was like four, maybe five years old when that movie came out. And um, I remember my brothers were watching it and they didn't want to let me watch it because they said it was a scary movie. And, and I'm younger than my brothers, you know, they're about 10 years old, older than I am, both of them. So they were teenagers, you know, they were like 15, 14 years old and I was like four or five, you know, and I was like, eh, a little kid, whatever. Just tagged along for the ride. Uh, watching the movie at the house, you know, at my parents' house. and. I was kind of like hiding, you know, <laughs> like I wasn't like around them, like right next to them. I was just kind of like hiding, like behind them. Um, and I was scared out of my mind. Like, I, I don't know why it is that the Jason character, you know, just scared the hell out of me. Like just the appearance, you know, just in that specific movie, he's wearing like a black jumpsuit and like the mask and he looks all deformed and everything. Uh, and he teleports in this movie, <laughs> which, which is not something that Jason is known to do. He's changed, like I said, over the whole course of the series, he changes quite a bit. Uh, but in that movie, he, like, you know, you see people running from him, and they, they try to hide, and he's always there 
before they are so he always finds a way to kill them like you know they, they can't hide you know so to me that was like oh my god you know like uh, this unstoppable beast you know of a man or, or whatever that just anticipates your every move and, and and you know you can't do anything about it so it's like crap you know like you can't escape that you know so uh, I, long story short, I was traumatized for weeks. <laughs> As a kid, I had like horrible, horrible nightmares. I couldn't sleep. You know, I dreamt that Jason was chasing after me, and and even to this day, even to this day, like I have dreams that Jason chases me. Believe it or not, you know, it's been over 30 years since I watched that movie. And actually, not too long ago, maybe maybe about a week or two ago, I had a dream about Jason chasing me. You know, and, and I was just trying to get away from him, and and. and he was persistent you know he was like never giving up you know so so he's definitely my favorite slasher movies uh villain you know uh which is incidentally also my favorite type of horror movie the 80s slashers because i know i grew up in the late 80s early 90s you know in mexico we kind of got uh, i grew up in mexico by the way uh so we got things a little bit later than than you guys did in the u.s maybe <laughs> like a couple years three four years after you guys got him so um we're always a little behind so so i grew up with the 80s you know movies the, the slasher ones like I, I would you know stay up at night because they usually sh would show them like on the weekends you know friday or saturday night and i would stay up at night and watch them and just you know scare myself you know <laughs> to death uh so i don't know like i always was I, I was scared of those movies those villains but i i i couldn't stop watching it was like you know what something drew me in so uh, you know, it was, it's just something that I, I can't explain. And then, you know, when I got older, I moved here to the U.S. and, and I started reading books and, and I got to junior high. Well, even in elementary in Mexico, I, I would, you know, read about stories, you know, scary stories like Llorona, stuff like that. And of course, the friends in the neighborhood, we all had scary stories about that one particular house that was, you know, off towards the end of the, of the road, whatever that was abandoned or, or you know, something saw something and... and or somebody saw something in somebody's house and or you know stuff like that you know we all kind of i mean whether or not those stories are true I, I don't think they were most of the time but um yeah i mean like i, I we had you know that, that kind of thing going up and then like i said when i moved here i started reading books you know i started reading um particularly like real horror books like as far as documentations of, of real cases or real sightings you know um i started reading a lot of those like non-fiction if you want to call them that, ghost accounts. And for fiction books, I started reading the books of R.L. Stein, not the Goosebumps series. He has a series also that's uh, more towards young adults. I think Goosebumps is more towards like the kids kind of thing. And I actually never have read a Goosebumps book. You know, I, I saw the show a few times because it came out when I was about 11 or 12, but I didn't really think it was that scary, you know. Um, and then I was reading the books from the Fear Street series, you know, which, which uh, it's like his young adult fiction. And those books uh, were about, you know, high school kids and, and you know, their, their encounters with with violence, you know, serial killers. Uh, but he also had some that dealt with like, ghosts and vampires and stuff like that. So, so to me, that was like a really important part of my upbringing as far as a horror fanatic. Uh, because it kind of spoke to my age group and, and it wasn't too, like, over my head or whatever. And, and it was still, like... An element of horror and supernatural you know stuff happening and then a little older I got into high school and I started reading Stephen King I discovered Stephen King through my cousin he had a, a few books of his laying around the house because I lived in my cousin's house you know when I was uh, in high school so 
the first book I ever read from Stephen King was actually the Dark the Dark Tower Part Three, which is called the uh, the Wastelands. And if you're not aware, I mean Stephen King has a series of books, the Dark Tower, you know, seven books or eight technically, but seven books in the main story about this, you know, uh, gunslinger guy named Roland. You know, I'm not gonna describe that too much because you know it's a little complicated, but. Basically, the first book I read from him was part three of that series. And then I just cascaded from there and I started reading stuff from outside of the series. You know, um, one of the books that I read that really impacted me was Gerald's Game. Uh, also, The Dead Zone. You know, stuff like that. So, so that was like my next step in my horror upbringing. And then as I got into college, you know, I, I would watch, you know, the, the, the movies and theaters, whatever that came out. The Ring, you know, was, I think The Ring came out when I was a freshman in college, if I'm not mistaken, around 2001 or two. And then I just gave you guys my age. <laughs> well, you know, whatever. But uh, I started reading more stuff from uh, Clive Barker. I had read some of his, book, his books, you know, Clive Barker is the creator of, of the Hellraiser character, uh, Pinhead, you know, for, for those of you that, that are familiar with him. Uh, so I read some of his books, and, and his books were horrifying in a different sense. Like, Stephen King is more of a mental horror, psychological horror, like, type of thing where, like, you have to use your mind, kind of. But Clive Barker is more of a, of a gory horror, kind of like, think of him, like, like maybe if, if you were to, comp like, call them movies, you know, Stephen King would be like a slasher movie from the 80s, and then Clive Barker would be like a hostile movie from, like, the 90s or 2000s, you know. So, in essence, I kind of had like a gradual stepping up, you know, I started with like, you know, in summary, my, my friends in elementary talk, talking about, you know, hey, you know, there's a ghost in my grandma's house, whatever, like little folk legends, whatever, reading books and, and real horror accounts in middle school, and then high school, I encountered Stephen King, and then in college, Clive Barker, so it kind of went up like gradually, you know, and there's a reason why I'm bringing that up, and that's going to be my next point. Well, actually, for my next point, I'm going to go ahead and, and give like a brief overview of what I believe or I perceive horror to be, rather, uh, and then what other people perceive it to be, and, and just give, give my opinion on that. Um, let's just start off real simple with the dictionary definition of, of horror. And actually, I want to differentiate, you know, or try to differentiate between horror and terror, because, um, well, given again that I was raised in Mexico, uh, we call them películas de terror, you know, which is terror movies, you know, like, uh, instead of horror movies, so that's always been kind of in the back of my mind, like, is there a difference between terror and horror? And to me, there is. Me, personally, I, I think they're, they're, they're just different degrees of the same feeling, kind of. Uh, but going, if we're going to go into the literal definition of the dictionary, you know, like, uh, according to the Merriam-Webster dictionary, horror is a painful and intense fear, dread or dismay, or also an intense aversion or repugnance. You know, that is the definition of horror. And also by Merriam-Webster, the definition of terror, which would be the state of intense or overwhelming fear, and also a very frightening or terrifying aspect. So they're very similar definitions. I mean, it's, it's basically the same thing, in essence. Uh, two similar words to describe a very similar feeling. And like I said, to me, it's just kind of different degrees of the same emotion. Um, there's this really great book by Stephen King, which is a non-fiction book. He wrote a book called Dance Macabre, in which he analyzes, you know, different types, kind of what I'm trying to do. I mean, I'm not comparing myself to him, obviously, like, <laughs> I'm not nowhere near anywhere his level. But in that book, um, he describes horror. He tries to analyze different 
elements from movies and, and you know it's a really interesting read if you're a horror fan and you want to just kind of get a feel or a sense of what he thinks horror is and how it impacted him as a writer and as a person you know it's a really excellent book i really recommend it once again it's called dance macabre uh it's it's a foreign language spelling i believe it's french by the way um so in that book you know stephen king defines uh three stages of uh horror or, or you know like like the, the way he defines it is, is this like the the first thing that you, you would feel in a situation like that would be terror in which that involves a mental fear uh, you don't see the source of fear you just feel it around you so it's kind of like like that first couple of scenes in, in in the haunted house movie where the people are walking around the house and they kind of start noticing like little weird things happening like you know things moving here and there or like whispering in the background you know stuff like that so so that would be <clears throat> the beginning of that person feeling terror you know where they're not really sure that something is there but but it is kind of there and it's kind of like freaking them out but they're not really sure yet that according to Stephen King is what terror is then the next step actually he, he also calls that uh, the result of a sense of things being unmade so again that, that kind of relates to like the whole thing where like you know you you feel like something is there but not quite there I mean something is not normal but you know you're not really sure yet you know in other words speculation and then the second step in, in his you know scale would be horror you know in which horror involves a physical manifestation that causes fear wherein you actually see something physically wrong with the source so that's, that's the next step in the in the haunted house movie where the people actually see the ghosts or the apparitions they actually see like you know the, the evil presence in that house you know you see the the person walking around or, or you know pushing somebody or whatever you actually see an apparition or you know so something is um physically wrong already you know uh, it's also the emotion that one deals with on their own so you kind of internalize or visualize the fear already you know and then the the third and last step in his little skill is revulsion where it grows out uh, and this is the part where you see but also experience a physical reaction to that horror so um, you know palpitations sweats uh, you know stuff like that uh, in certain movies you see scenes where maybe like a little kid is, is so scared that he happens to you know pee his pants you know that that's that's revulsion it's already like like a physical reaction to the fear elements you know so that's the the you know the internalization aspect aspect of that um, quick side note here oh I kind of disagree with him in this because to me I, I feel like the word terror has a, a, a stronger connotation than horror in other words I, f I feel like if if I were to describe these things the way he has I would interchange the words horror and terror so in other words horror to me will be the first step and terror will be the second I, I just feel like terror has a, has a stronger feel to it you know as a word like you know you're terrified you know that kind of I don't know that, that to me it's a more impressionable uh, condition I guess you know so uh, another person uh, his name is Noel Carroll he wrote a book or edited a book called the philosophy of horror that's that's kind of a book that you want to read if, if you're looking for a more like academic type of thing like a, like a college level type of analysis um, and according to him you know uh, humans regard monsters as a disruption of natural order in other words, incredible characters in a normal world, you know? 
he also said that horror is one of the genres where reactions of the characters mirror those of the audience. So he believes that it's one of the few genres where, where you as an audience member react the same way as a character on the screen or in the book. You know, you, you re like, you know, they get scared in the movie, you get scared in real life because, you know, a jump scare or, or a murder happens or something like that, you know. So it's a similar reaction for both you and the character. Then he, he goes to say something like, Monsters create revulsion and disgust, and they are very commonly associated with dirty things like slime, dirt, filth, etc. So that kind of goes back to what Stephen King was saying about revulsion, you know. Uh, and then horror-related emotions are connected to physical distress, which again goes back to the thing about Stephen King and physical reactions, physical distress, you know. So, in other words, uh, there's different, I guess, stages according to these two individuals, and I do agree with them. I mean, there, there's levels of fear, you know, like 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 I was saying earlier, the the, the scenes in the haunted house movie. You know, you kind of get to the house and you walk around and you get a sense that something's a little off, but eh, you know, you blow it off. It's just the jitters of you moving to a new place, you know, kind of thing. And then you actually start seeing stuff happening, and then you actually have a reaction to it or an interaction, you know, a ghost actually pushes you or, or kills someone, you know, so that's like the, that would be the third level, you know. So, basically, that's kind of what the definition of horror would be according to these two individuals and to me. Okay, so the next point that I would like to touch up on would be to try to determine why it is that we are so willing to put ourselves through a horror situation in a movie or in a book or you know a video game stuff like that so once again going back to stephen king's book uh just, you know just paraphrasing a couple of his phrases from from that uh one of the things he says in there is, is something along the lines of uh, we make up horrors to help us cope with the real ones you know so in other words uh, we kind of make up fantasies in our mind that help us deal with with the real things that are you know, messed up in our lives, you know, or that scares in our real lives. Uh, horror films let us freely give into our deviant, antisocial, violent impulses without holding back because of social constraints. So this is a little different because he's implying that we like to go to these movies or watch these movies because we ourselves have, you know, dark impulses that we hold back because it's not right to feel those things, you know. And if you want to relate that to basic psychology, you know, Freudian psychology, you know, the id, the ego and the superego, you know, one of the more popular concepts in, in all of, you know, pop psychology, if you want to call it that. <laughs> um, the id being the dark self, you know, like the, the self that can't do the things that we want to do, for example, uh, you know, the sexual impulses, uh, the animalistic urges that we might have, you know, stuff like that. That's the, the things that you don't want people to notice or, or know about you because it's not morally correct, you know, it's, it's not socially correct. So that part is what he's referencing or, or what you can connect, you know, to, to that last phrase that, that I described, you know. Uh, the next thing he says is we expect and want for things to go bad. In other words, we're kind of rooting for the villain. We're, we're waiting for someone in that movie to meet their end in a, in a horrible way, you know, like, and that goes back to the feeling, the impulses, you know, because it, it's not morally or, or socially correct to say, oh, you know, I want to see that person die. You know, like, that's, that's not something that you would say in real life. But um, in the context of a movie, you know, it, it's, it's a fantasy. It's not real. So it, it, in, in your mind, you know, that makes it okay. <laughs> so 
he also said something like, we are only comfortable with horror as long as we know that it isn't or can't become real. So what I just said right now. Um, if you're in a safe environment, you know, you're in your house or the movie theater, you know, you're with a friend, significant other, whatever the case is, you know, um, you know that what you're watching in the screen or, or reading in, in the pages, it, it can't really get you. But you're enjoying it. <laughs> you're enjoying that feeling. You're enjoying that, you know, the, the, what's going on because deep down you are, you know, a dark person, basically. <laughs> and that's perfectly okay. Uh... And then he also mentioned something like the monstrosity in horror provides reassurance of order in our daily lives. It is not the monstrosity in horror, but it's lack of order that causes fear. I thought that was a key phrase right there because, in other words, you're not scared of the monster itself for the way it looks or the way it acts. You're scared of the monster because it's not normal. You know, it's not something that, that's okay for, for it to be around. You know, so so it's something that that, that you know. It, there's no order. There's no sense to it. it. It's it's just not normal. You know, and that is why we feel fear when it comes to scenes like that. You know, um, there's another book that I, that I own. It's called The Art of Darkness, in which the the author Douglas Winter uh, he analyzes some of the works of Stephen King up until the mid to late 80s, I believe. Uh, it's not very up to date, but. Uh, you know, he does provide some some opinion on that also, uh, kind of in line with what Stephen King himself said, because once again, this, this his book is, is like an analysis of Stephen King's work. So what Douglas Winter said is, is basically horror isn't just a part of the human condition. Um, horror fiction is a means to escape real horrors into surreal and exotic realms. So basically uh, elaborating on the points that I just made about Stephen King, you know. Um, it's a masochistic experience where our worst fears and strongest desires are brought up. So once again, the, the, the it part of the self, you know, like the, the dark, undesirable part of your psychological mind. The stuff you want to keep buried in, in, in the backyard, you know, <laughs> like you, you don't want people to know that about you, but it's there. And you enjoy letting that beast become unleashed, so to speak, you know. Uh, and then he says something like, horror is more credible the more one's fantasies relate to it. And maybe that explains why something is scared one, scary to one person and not to the other. Because, in his opinion, uh, he's saying that, you know, the more your own fantasies relate to the horror that you're experiencing, it's the more believable or credible it's going to appear to you. You know, so so I guess that kind of explains why, you know, you sometimes you watch a movie and, and your friend or your significant other or whatever, they're, they're terrified of what's going on. You're like, ah, that's not a big deal. What, what, what's so scary about this, you know? And then the opposite happens in a different movie. You're the one that's scared out of your mind and the other person's like, why are you baby like you know like what's going on you like that I, I think maybe that that, that that might explain that part of that you know I don't know what you guys might think but that's that's kind of what I get from that and then um, we can reach taboos and express emotions in a safe and controlled environment because the fantasy doesn't and cannot become reality so once again the same exact points that Stephen King made you know this guy is just kind of like doing what I'm doing kind of just repeating him but I, I mean, I agree with it, you know, like, I, I think that, you know, like, since you're sitting down in, in a comfortable place, you know, your home, etc., like I just said, you know, it, it, it's something that you're enjoying because, you know, it, it's, there's, there's a, a limit to it, you know, there, there's no way this thing or concept can affect you in real life personally. So then he, uh, you know, Douglas Winter goes on and he says something like, horror helps us to understand ourselves by clashing everyday life with a fantasy universe. Um, 
so again going back to that whole lack of normalcy you know like something is not normal like you know and, and you know but in a way he's elaborating a little more he's he's implying that we can look into ourselves to see what kind of person we really are you know or what's you know going on in our own minds when it comes to something like that um something within ourselves wants the worst to be true huh so you know the dark impulses again uh providing an explanation to horror gives it rationality even if the explanation itself is illogical um so to me that kind of means that you know you try to give you know a reason why something is, is you know happening you know like like you know the movie characters like oh you know it's gonna be an explanation for this you know it can be like you know and then somebody's like oh you know this you know they give some sort of exposition and and you know that and then oh okay then I guess that's okay that's what we're dealing with so okay let's, let's do this you know so that's what I'm guessing uh, winter is, is trying to say here from from that quote uh, he goes on to say something like rationality and order are illusions of control in a chaotic reality so that kind of relates to that last point you know where you know once you have that little exposition you know we're like oh you know this is the way the monster is and this is how we can kill it blah blah, blah you know stuff like that okay you know so that, that makes more sense to the characters and, and to you as an audience member you know and then this last phrase right here is kind of what, what I what caught my attention you know it is fun to scare ourselves and face things that we can't understand. Let me say that again. It is fun to scare ourselves and face things that we can't understand. Yes, we, we know that, but why is that? <laughs> like, I, I'm still, like, kind of, like, not really sure that I found or that I can tell you guys that I, I, I'm, I'm satisfied with an explanation, you know. Uh, maybe I should go back to the point, you know, you give an explanation, gives the rationality, and, and then the explanation itself is illogical. <laughs> like, I mean, I need closure, damn it. <laughs> I, I need closure on this, but, you know, that's the whole point of, of me doing this podcast, you know, like, just kind of trying to figure out some things. Uh, and going on, there's another book that I read. Uh, it's uh, a collection of essays, you know, called On Writing Horror, and I believe the editor's, uh, he's an editor, I believe, his name is Mort Castle. And there's different sections in that book where, you know, they describe, you know, the process or the mechanics of being a horror writer. So if you want to be a writer, like, you know, you want to write short stories or novels that are horror based, I really recommend you check this, this, this book out. Once again, it's, it's called On Writing Horror, uh, edited by Mort Castle. I think he just edited the book. I'm not sure if he's, you know, did anything else, but I think he's the main editor. So great book if you want to, you know, get some ideas or, you know pointers on how to become a horror author you know it's a great book uh but there's sections in the books where they interview people and they ask them the same question why is it that people are, are so interested in, in horror you know and different people are answering different ways and full disclaimer i'm not very familiar with most of these people actually i think i'm just familiar with one of them you know but uh one of the quotes that i see that i saw there is um people face daunting challenges and their beliefs about those challenges will bring us solutions or destruction so once again it, it's kind of like a self-exploratory thing you know you, you kind of want to like understand yourself by scaring yourself if that makes sense and then ray bradbury which is the one person that i know from this list of, of authors that they have in here uh ray bradbury is, is a you know legendary writer of science fiction horror novels uh, well, short stories you know uh he he said something along the lines of 
I was born like this and it's just natural for me to write about what I love. <laughs> so plain and simple to the point. You know, I was born like this and it's just natural for me to write about what I love. Period. You know, Ray Bradbury, you know, just getting to, straight to the point there. Um, so, okay, I guess some of us are just like that. You know, we're just prone to that. We, we just are connected or drawn to that realm, you know, to the horror realm, to the dark realm, of the, you know, the literature, the, the, the film industry, you know. And that's also a perfectly valid explanation, you know, we, we just, that's just the way we are. We just like it. Uh, it's kind of like asking a person why they like Coke or Pepsi, you know, if, if there's, you know, an explanation. I mean, it's, I, I just do, period. You know, like, what are you going to do about it? You know, so, I like that quote, by the way, or that, you know, statement. Um, another person named, uh, I believe, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, and I'm really sorry. His name is Gerard Horner, I believe is how you pronounce that. Um, he said something similar to that, to what... Bradbury said in the sense that he said it's how I'm tuned the dark won't let me write about nice things reality isn't just nice and it would hurt to ignore that it is possible to be both a monster and an angel that last part is, is you know interesting it is possible to be both a monster and an angel so that's kind of like uh, again the, the psychological principles of Freud you know the id ego superego where like you know the id is the animal the superego is the ideal self and the ego is the real self, you know, that's kind of like, eh, you know, th th there's more than one side to every person, basically. Uh, the next person that, that, that I gave a, a, you know, a statement on that, his name is David Neil Wilson. And what he said is, he, as a, him as a writer, he said something like, I set out to cause reactions and dark stories work better for that purpose. The best way to gauge a reaction is if you cause one within yourself. So, uh, being a writer, I mean, I'm not a writer, but but I would imagine that like, I mean that the being a writer like that's that's something that you you strive for. You know, you want to give the audience a reaction, and according to his opinion, you know, the best way to to measure that is if you scare yourself, then there's a big chance you're gonna scare the audience. You know, and if that's what you're setting out to do, then you're meeting your goal. You know. Uh, then uh, the next person they 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 asked for that gave a statement was uh, Harry Shannon. And what this person said was uh, something like, most serial killers have a, have a punishing conscience. Carl Jung said we need to control our fantasies or they will control us. I write horror as a way to eat my shadow before it eats me. <laughs> so this is a very interesting statement because once again, being, being a psych major, I mean, uh, Carl Jung is, is another of the earlier theorists of psychology. You know, uh, he was... <clears throat> Uh, a student a slash disciple slash friend of Freud and then they had a falling out you know because he saw things a little bit differently so uh, without going too much into that you know basically he was also very important in the development of, of early psychology so you know according to this individual Carl Jung said that you know the, the fantasies need to be controlled or they will control us and Harry Shannon you know he said I write horror as a way to eat my shadow before it eats me so once again, going back to keeping that, keeping that, that id beast leashed, you know, even though we do enjoy letting it have a, a, a walk in the neighborhood here and there, you know, um, you know, just to let it get some air and, and sense of, of how things are in the world, you know. <laughs> uh, so then the next person that I have a, a statement from is, uh, you know, from that book uh, would be a person named C. Dean Anderson. And the, the statement they gave us along the lines of, I write horror because I want 
to w awake sleeping minds and show people things they're not familiar with. The Marquis de Sade, <clears throat> you know, said, if they see themselves, it's because evil recognizes evil and that's painful. Uh, I'm not too familiar with the Marquis de Sade. I mean, I, I do know something about him, you know, it's, it's kind of where that you heard the word sadist, you know, from sadomasochism, you know, sadist is somebody that enjoys causing pain and that, that word kind of comes from his name, you know, because uh, as far as my knowledge goes, the Marquis de Sade wrote really disturbing books, even if you were to read them now, I think they're, they're kind of some of the most, uh, what people consider to be disturbing, you know, uh, so Anderson, you know, in that, in that statement said something like, the Marquis de Sade said, uh, if people see themselves in evil, it's because evil recognizes itself and it's painful. So I think it's implying that people don't want to admit that they have these impulses sometimes. And that's, you know, it's kind of like a struggle. And, and that's the whole principle of that whole psychological theory of Freud, you know, that you want to keep the, the, the dark impulses at bay, even though they want to be let out or they want to come out. It, and, and you got to find a balance because you can't keep it locked down forever because then that causes other problems, you know. So you gotta find a balance of it, like, you know, okay, you know, you can only come out in a full moon, you know, like a werewolf kind of thing, you know. So, yeah, you know, that, that's, that's kind of relating to all of that, you know. And then the next person, uh, Paul Tremblay, his statement was something like, Great horror fiction forces you to face and question reality, or at least your own place in it. So, um... I guess that, that just means that, you know, again, trying to identify what kind of person you are, what goes on inside your own mind by experiencing these things, you know? And then uh, I have something here by a person named Gary Frank. Uh, and they said something like, well-written horror shows us how much we don't know about the world. It makes us question how we see it and what is important in it. So, again, self-analysis, you know? introspective thought um you know all these people have a similar concept you know or a similar answer you know basically uh the next one would be uh a statement from a lady named melinda theobar i believe i'm sorry if i'm mispronouncing that uh and she said something like horror is about fear and how we face write about and resolve that fear says a lot about us once again you know, it, it's all connected. You know, basically, I, I, I gathered all these quotes because they're all connected in a way. And it, it's basically kind of saying the same thing. But, you know, that, that's what what I'm trying to point out here. You know, that that uh, in the minds of these these famous, you know, or, or, you know, known authors, you know, it's kind of very similar that their thought process, you know, or the way they see things when it comes to stuff like this. And then the, the final one I have is by Nate Kenyon. And his statement was something like, Horror is about overcoming fears. It dives into the darkness of your mind and helps you find answers about the human condition. You know, basically the same thing. So, in other words, summarize what I just said in the past, you know, 15, 20 minutes, whatever. <laughs> uh, we get into horror because we like it. We seek that out because we like the idea that we can let out our dark selves have a good time, you know? Whether or not that's a satisfactory explanation, I mean, that's, that's going to be up to you. Uh, it doesn't really satisfy me personally. <laughs> I think there's something a little bit more in depth, but I guess it'll have to do for now.
Moving on, uh, the next thing that I wanted to go over is uh, just briefly discuss horror across time periods, you know, like, and, and them reflecting whatever was going on in, in society at that particular point in time. Because if you're a horror fanatic, uh, you, you've probably noticed there's periods where horror is more popular or less popular, and also about the kinds of horror that are popular in that time period. Um, so, you know, going back to, to the uh, book The Philosophy of Horror by, uh, by uh, Noel Carroll, um, you know, it's what he's, he said something like that, you know, where, where horror has periods where its popularity grows and then declines, but it has a loyal audience. And then he's, he goes on a little further to say something like horror seems to be more popular at times of social unrest and when it successfully mixes those social elements into its fabric. And then he goes on, on a little like uh, explanation on, on, you know, description of, of, of the types of horror across time periods. And he starts with the um, uh, 1920s, you know, where silent films, uh, especially the ones from the German Expressionist school, you know, like those really weird, bizarre ones that are like silent and black and white and they have all these weird, awkward mo movements and like really like exaggerated, like, you know, expressions, you know. Um, uh, he says that, that these films gained popularity in, in, in times of the, the Weimar Republic, which um, is basically the, the government that was established in Germany after World War One, but right before World War Two, and, and that's when it changed into the Nazi regime, you know, and I'm not going to go too much into that specifically, but uh, basically after World War One, you know, the Germans were, were defeated, you know, they, they had a lot of reparations to pay to the other countries you know they were basically blamed for the whole mess and, and they were giving a really like hard time about it so these films according to to carol you know the author of this book those films are a response to that feeling you know that feeling of helplessness of like ah oh, you know like you know like you know you know what i'm trying to say like you know that, that, that weird feeling of you know like defeat you know so um he goes on to explain that these films were made as a result of german isolation after world war one once again, you know, they, they were not very welcome in, 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 other, in other circles, you know, they were kind of viewed as, as they're once responsible for that whole mess, you know, like the, all those deaths and everything. Um, these films are often about madness, insanity, betrayal, and other such emotions. They were primarily low budget and their goal was to portray an inner emotional reality um, by using extreme distortions in expression, non-realistic angles, and designs painted into the walls. They directly influenced horror films in the 30s and film noir. Uh, film noir is basically like the, the stereotypical, you know, black and white movie about a detective sitting in an office and then this, you know, bombshell woman walks in and, and she has, like, smoking a cigarette and, like, you know, I have a case, you know, my husband was murdered or whatever. Like, you know, so that, that's basically what film noir, I mean, it's more than that, you know, but that's, that's a general stereotypical film noir, like, scenario, you know, that, that we all kind of see in our minds. Um, so yes, uh, Carol basically explains that, you know, as a result of, of the political and social conditions of, in Europe of, in the 1920s, you know, after World War I, that's why these films came to be. You know, the, the films like The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, films like uh, Nosferatu, you know, the, 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 where the, the vampire looks really freaky and like the, the teeth and, and like bald and the pointy ears, you know, like, you know th that that kind of school of, of film, you know, it, it's, it's developed as a result of not having any money to shoot these films, you know, for one, and 
to the, you know that, that sentiment in that part of the world you know like that that whole kind of like recovering from war type of thing <clears throat> and then he goes on you know no the, the, the no carol the, the author says you know the films of the 30s and 40s which has come to be known as a classic period in horror you know where you, you got films like dracula king kong frankenstein you know the wolfman etc these films according to, to this gentleman uh, they dealt with with themes of the great depression the social themes of the great depression so basically he's you know he he believes or he, or he comes to believe that that um all that despair brought by being outside of society you know like like you know people losing their jobs their money their homes um so going back to that thing where like we create horrors to help us deal with the with the real ones you know so i guess people started looking for for things to like you know take their minds off of not being able to work not being able to even eat in some cases you know so um but the important thing about this is that that um yeah there is a monster on screen you know dracula you know the vampire uh frankenstein's monster you know the wolfman etc king kong but all these films had an element of relating to or sympathizing with the monster on some level so <clears throat> we romanticize dracula you know he's a tragic you know figure because you know he can't ever find true love whatever um Frankenstein's monster, you know, is a construct of, of body parts from, from dead people, you know, and he's trying to figure out his place in the world. Uh, King Kong, you know, which, if you go with the popular interpretation, you know, he kidnaps the girl because he falls in love with her, but he can't have her because obviously, you know, he's, a, he's an ape or, you know, um, he's an ape, right, I believe. <laughs> I'm sorry if I'm getting this wrong, but uh, so, so he can't, you know, like, be with this woman, but he's still in love with her. So, so in, in a sense, those films in the 30s and 40s, like, gave us a, a monster to fear but also a monster we can relate to you know it, it's us you know it's an outsider that, that people are afraid of or that, that you know people don't understand but hey there's still an, an element a human element to them you know like that that we can relate to you know so then that is a sharp contrast to the films of the 50s you know the, the late 40s and 50s and even some of the 60s where like you know the sci-fi movies became popular you know like the invasion of the giant alien ants or whatever you know like i'm not sure that's a movie but i'm just you know giving like a stereotypical type of thing where a lot of those movies of the time period dealt with stuff like that you know with with mutated insects mutated plants you know uh that try to kill people and, and you know and given the time period i mean i'm pretty sure what what you know you guys might have in mind is, is um the rise of communism you know the rise of communism in, in Europe you know and particularly in places like Russia you know where basically you know that whole scare in, in, in America you know McCarthyism uh, and once again I'm not gonna go into that too, too deeply but basically that was a period in which the US government was trying to identify if there were communists in the US that were trying to infiltrate our, our society and, and basically destroy us from within right you know make us assimilate to the system of, of, of the political economical system whatever um, so basically like what, what the author says is that you know these films had monsters that had no human-like characteristics and they're not relatable at all once again they're they're insects or plants or you know mutated by some sort of radiation or whatever and what those monsters stood for is basically according to this gentleman uh, the ideal of a collectivist uh, group you know 
and the loss of individuality and them infiltrating society and replacing people that we're familiar with. So that kind of extends also with, with the Body Snatchers film. Where, if you're not familiar with that movie, real quick, it's about uh, this plant species that comes from a different planet and basically the way that they integrate in society is they, they absorb a person, you know, so to speak. Uh, so they create a clone of them, but, but it's a clone that is completely devoid of any emotion. They can't feel anything. You know, they're not, they can't express happiness, they can't express anger, they're just a husk, you know, <laughs> if you want to think about it that way. So that was kind of like what was going on in the U.S. back then, or basically in the whole world, really, like where, where people were afraid of communism, and oh my God, you know, they're coming to get us, and, and you know, we're not even going to see them coming because they look just like you and me, you know. So that's kind of something that was, you know, it, it really affected people back then, you know. It, it was like something to be nervous for them about, you know, like, or for them to be nervous about. You know, and then as as time went on, you know that that, that passes, and, and then we go on to the sixties and seventies, and you start noticing a shift from that kind of sci-fi horror, you know, the the assimilation horror, if you want to call it, into what Noel Carroll in his book calls family horror. You know, movies like The Omen, movies like Rosemary's Baby, where you start seeing families being destroyed from within. Because he he theorizes that that uh, people were scared of having families at that point because you know it was an uncertain time you know it was the atomic age you know or, or the years right after the, the the atomic age you know people were scared of, of you know what what happens if the world ends because somebody pushes the wrong button you know like is this a safe place for my child to grow in or, or, or you know what's gonna happen if if you know if I have a kid and, and, and I'm not equipped. Or I'm not ready for this. And basically, that was what was going on according to him. Like, a lot of uncertainty in, in people not being sure of themselves as, as how they would raise a family in such a turbulent time. You know, like, a lot of turmoil, a lot of civil and, and political unrest, you know. Or like, you know, it, it was a difficult time. And, and they, according to him, you know, to, to this author, people were just scared of, like, well... Uh, I want to have a child, but what if I'm not ready, you know, and that's where the whole demonic child comes into place because, you know, it's like, basically, that, that fear manifested, like, what if, what if I'm not ready, not that they were, they thought their kids would be evil necessarily, but basically something like, what if I have a child and I'm not ready for this and this kid turns out to be a, you know, a person that's not you know, raised in a good way because I didn't do my job right. You know, like I didn't raise, I didn't know how to raise my kids, so they turned out bad or not the way I expected them to turn out. You know, so that was kind of what was going on according to him. And then he goes on to, you know, time goes on. The '80s come along, and, and and you know, you start seeing a lot of physical horror, like you know, the slasher films particularly. And you know, basically he. He identifies, you know, you know, the bodies are, are. It was now more common for scenes in that movie to show, you know, impalements, stabbings, shootings, you know, people getting their heads cut off, you know, stuff like that. It, it was becoming a lot more common. So uh, basically, you know, he's saying that well, that the fear in those movies came from the feeling that none of us were completely safe from danger at any point. You know, that harm could come from us or, or to us rather. Sorry. Harm could come to us from anywhere, anytime, in any any situation, as shown in 80 slashers. You know, so so a really 
particularly good example of that would be the first uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie, you know, or Psycho. You know, the film, I mean, even though it's from a time period, you know, 20, 30 years before that, you know, uh, the slasher took that, that, that element and ran with it, you know, it's like, hey, nobody's safe. You know, like, you know, in, in the first Freddy Krueger Nightmare, Nightmare on Elm Street movie, the, the girl you thought was going to be the main protagonist ends up not making it, you know, about kind of early in the movie, you know, spoiler alert, <laughs> for a 30, 40 year old movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that was basically, you know, the, the physical horror, it was, it was more visual, it was more in your face, so to speak, not as it would be later on, you know, with the Saw movies, the Hostile movies, where they took that concept and just, you know, ran all the way across the neighborhood, you know, <laughs> like they're, they're showing all these things. You know, so yeah, basically, like you know, that's kind of like a brief overview of, of horror as it developed over time, based on whatever the social or political situation or climate of the world was at that point in time. All right, so now I'm getting to the part where uh, I'm gonna describe to you guys my personal system, if you want to call it that, uh, of like categorizing monsters and characters and and namely the villains in, in, in the movies. Um, because you know like it helps me to have kind of a reference point or, or, or kind of like categorize things in, in a way like and i'm not intending for this to be the the end all be all you know system for everybody to use but for my own purposes for the po for the podcast that i'm working on you know like i i do want to have some sort of label if you you know if you will for the things that i'm going to be discussing and, and I understand that some people are going to be like, oh, that, you know, that doesn't make sense, or that's like, ah, whatever, and, and I get that, you know, that, that that's your opinion, and it's perfectly valid, and I'm okay with that, you know, like, um, so, this is just going to help me when, whenever I, I do make episodes that describe, you know, movies or, or, or villains, specifically, like I said, um, because that is what I'm intending to focus on the most, the, the villains themselves, and, and I, I will touch up on the protagonists and, and the plots and stuff like that, but I'm going to try to delve deeper into the, the psychological side of the villains themselves. So, uh, these categories, some of them overlap, you know, like, it's 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 kind of like a some sort of weird uh, horror Venn diagram, if you want to, you know, visualize that in your mind. Uh, so because you know different monsters have different characteristics or different you know way of, of ways of, of doing things or, or the way they were created or stuff like that so um it's just a general overview you know and, and it's just for the purposes of this podcast you know so once again it's, it's just you know my opinion and, and i hope you guys you know understand that and, and are okay with that you know but uh one of the first ones that i that i would describe to you would be the dual natured category which would be villains that are you know things like werewolves the Jekyll and Hyde types serial killers and, and this is just like you know a monster or a villain that, that is a human in their base form but they do have to undergo some sort of transformation to unleash their dark impulses you know like going back to the whole it thing and, and the you know the dark side of, of humanity and, and keeping it at bay because it's not morally or socially correct um, you know, that that would be what this is, you know, it's a dual-natured villain. Like, you know, they're human, they look just like you and me, but they have this really dark side to them and they need to transform or undergo some process of transformation to change into that to where they can perform their, their evil deeds, you know? And a lot of times, I, I believe these villains are conflicted about themselves. Like, you know, they're not really 100% on board with what they're doing. Like, they're, you know... 
on some level, they, and that's where they hide it. You know, that, that's where they have to transform or undergo that process because, uh, you know, the, the werewolf, the, the the man that becomes a werewolf, is not gonna go out and, and you know injure anybody on his own. But once he's the wolf, you know, he's he can do whatever he wants. You know, he can let go of, of, of his humanity for a while, um, and, and that makes it okay, quote unquote. You know, so that that would be one of the first categories that I that I would establish for for that kind of purpose. You know. Uh, then you have the outsiders, you know, uh, where you have characters like the, the killers from Wrong Turn, The Hills Have Eyes, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, uh, humans with physical deformities or psychological uh, deficiencies, uh, and they tend to live in isolation, you know, they, they tend to be secluded from society, they, they live in, in the desert, they live in the middle of nowhere, people that are driving, or you know, they come across them, and, and that's how they end up being picked off, because they, they, they come across these individuals you know and, and these characters are perfectly aware of what they're doing they, they, they and that's why they isolate themselves because they know that they're not gonna be welcome in society again you know that whole it thing they're keeping themselves hidden far away because they're not socially or morally accepted in society you know like it's not okay to go out and, and kill people <laughs> for sport you know like or to eat them or whatever so that kind of relates to that too you know like i mean but these people are perfectly aware of what they're doing you know and, and and that's why they choose to to be secluded you know as opposed to the dual nature which like they have to transform and, and and change themselves you know because they're not completely okay with it the outsiders in contrast would be aware and and they're okay with what they're doing and, and they that's what they do you know that they, they hide and they commit crimes and kill people you know uh <clears throat> The next one I would say would be the intelligent once humans. So these would be creatures like vampires, cenobites, the pod people from the body snatchers, and there's a little asterisk on that. Uh, Jason Voorhees, my favorite villain, Michael Myers, you know, uh, all these monsters and creatures were human at some point. They were they were human beings, you know, but they have become something else through a process that's not of their own control and they cannot revert back to a human state ever you know uh so contrary to the werewolf or jekyll and hyde you know where, where after a while they, they go back to their human state you know a vampire can't become a human anymore a cenobite you know it's a creature like the the pinhead from hellraiser you know the, the leather clad you know demon creatures you know or angels some demons to others you know <laughs> depending on what side of the fence you sit on um you know the pod people, uh, the Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers. Uh, the, these were human beings that, that, for some reason, they they became something else. You know, a vampire was bitten by another vampire. The Cenobites were created because you know they're they open the box and, and sometimes you know it's kind of a difficult process. You know, if you're familiar with the mythology of that series, um, you open this box, this puzzle box, and then a Cenobite comes and, and tortures you and and if you meet their criteria you can actually become one of them you know so if you're specifically twisted or, or have some sort of thing that they see worthy they allow you to become one of them you know uh the pot people these are different i mean it's a little different because uh they are still intellectual i mean in those movies like body snatchers uh they can still drive cars they can have conversations but they're not really human anymore there, there's something else completely, and and of course Jason and Michael. Um, Jason at some point was human uh, in the first movie where he appears. Actually, it's part two. Actually, you know, it's, it's a little bit of trivia. 
Jason is not the killer in part one, guys. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, but he is human, and then as the, as the series goes on, you know, he actually dies and becomes this like zombified, super zombie-like creature. You know that you know he's not human anymore. Michael Myers is also a little asterisk because he is still technically considered human, but. You really can't tell me that, you know, in, in, in one of the movies, you know, he's burned, you know, like he's like scorched, you know, and then in a different movie, he's shot by this like posse of like sheriffs and, and you know, gun toting people. And, and you can't tell me that a person, a normal human being can stand to be shot 50 times or whatever and, and still stand up, you know, like, so, you know, I, I don't consider Michael Myers a human being anymore. Um, that might be a, a, an opinion that conflicts with some of yours, but that's the way it is for me. I don't think it's completely human anymore. Uh, moving on. Uh, the next one I'd say would be the, the non-intelligent ones human. And these would be your zombies. You're infected from 28 days later, you know. Uh, the difference between this and the last category is that, yeah, they were not human anymore. They became something else because of a virus, because of some sort of, you know, radiation from a satellite in the case of uh, Night of the Living Dead. You know, uh, something out of their control makes them not be human anymore. Even though zombies are technically dead already, uh, they're still human-like in appearance, but they, they lost all or most of their intelligence and their ability to do complicated tasks, you know. So zombies can't drive cars, you know. Uh, the infected, or like, you know, all they do is they run after you. They, they don't really stop and, 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 you know, grab the keys to a Lamborghini and chase down, <laughs> chase down people in the neighborhood, you know, like... Um, so that's why I, I had to make a distinction between the, you know, the intelligent and the non-intelligent ones human because, you know, these creatures, you know, zombies and infected, they, they don't have any advanced cognitive processes, you know. And then this is going to be, the next one's going to be a, kind of a broad category, the spectral, demonic, and supernatural. So basically ghosts, uh, demons, and other apparitions, you know, for example, Pazuzu from The Exorcist, The Leprechaun, Freddy Krueger. Uh, the Creeper from Jeepers Creepers, uh, you know, these were basically spirits from beyond death, uh, or, and or, from a fantasy realm. So, I mean, go of course, you know, ghosts were once human, yes, but now they're not, they're non-corporeal, you know, they're not, they don't have a physical presence anymore. Um, uh, is a demon, so it's a supernatural thing. The Leprechaun is, is a fantastic creature, you know, like, it's, it's, you know, folklore legend from, from certain regions in Europe, particularly Ireland. Um, Freddy Krueger, you know, he was once human, but now he's uh, some sort of uh, sleep demon creature, you know. He, he was given these powers by sleep demons, according to one of the films. Uh, the Creeper from Jeepers Creepers is some sort of demonic entity, you know. He's not really a human. He looks humanoid, you know. He has a face, teeth, you know, arms, legs. But... You really can't describe him as being human, you know. He, he's he's more of a supernatural, fantastic creature, you know. Uh, <clears throat> moving on, the, the the alien, you know, the creatures and monsters from out of this world, and, and that would include, of course, the the alien creature, you know, from the movie Alien, uh, who's technically the, the the real quote unquote official name is the the xenomorph, you know. Uh, the predator creature from the predator films, which is uh, known as the Yauja, uh, the Blob, you know, from, from, from the movie The Blob, you know, um, these are creatures and monsters, once again, from, from not, or, or they're not from this world, rather, 
and they basically hunt humans for sport because it's fun for them for reproduction or for assimilation or, or you know stuff like that uh in the case of the blob you know the blob just kind of goes around you know absorbing people to increase its own size you know uh the aliens you know the xenomorphs they, they hunt people because that's where they lay their eggs you know they, they lay their eggs in humans and they can create more of their, of their own species you know <clears throat> and then the last one that i have here uh would be the, the science or the tech based which would be the terminator creatures like the terminator you know robots you know uh frankenstein's monster or the mutated animals or, and, and bugs that are of the movies of the 50s you know like i described earlier um, these are the results of humans messing with nature and, you know, trying to create things in, in our image. Um, kind of, if you want to include a uh, Christine in here, like, you know, the, the, the demonic possessed car. Um, even though, like, that's not really the result of humans messing with nature. I mean, technically, it, it's, it's a car that's possessed by an evil force, you know. So, so it's still kind of science or tech based, you know, because it, it's a, a device that we created. You know, we created a car, and then that car happened to become possessed, you know, by, by some evil energy. So, you know, things like that. So, so basically, that, that's that's kind of the categories that I have. Uh, I, I know that I haven't covered everything, or you, you may be able to think of something that doesn't quite fit into one of these categories. But once again, it's just like a little, uh, my own little personal card, card catalog type of thing, where like I have a point of reference. And if you happen to have an opinion you know like hey you know what about this or you you overlook this i mean i'll be more than glad to hear it as long as it's constructive you know like i have no problem learning from any from anybody like you know if you think that uh you can teach me something you know, or, or show me something that i may have overlooked i mean by all means go ahead share it you know just don't just don't come at me with like insults or anything because that's not really going to be something that i respond to you know I and mean, it, it's just not going to get to me you know so yeah i mean that that, that it's kind of like a brief overview of my own little personal system that I've created for the purposes of this podcast. So, having said all of that, I want to thank you for making it this far, all the way to the end of this, the first episode of Exploring the Myths Behind the Legends. Uh, just a little quick trivia. When I was first considering developing this podcast, I had in mind the uh, idea of doing a sort of like this what this episode was a, a pilot kind of slash reference slash background type of thing to introduce myself to you and and you know to so you could understand kind of where i'm coming from and i figured well this is probably going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of like 15 20 minutes you know it, it's going to be not very long and, and if you made it this far that you've realized then it, it, it's nowhere near that length quite a bit longer actually <laughs> But it's because I had a great time doing this. I, I had a great time doing all this reading and research and, and you know, a little exposition type of thing of, of myself and, and just letting you know where I'm coming from with all of this. And, and, and in the meantime, I, I do have some episodes already planned in the future. Uh, it's going to be me for the first couple of episodes. I'm trying to figure out some things. I, I will eventually like to have a permanent slash semi-permanent co-host somebody that i can you know have a conversation with during this podcast if that works out awesome if if i can't find somebody that can do that because of time or work whatever then i'll consider the idea of having guest speakers every now and then so they can give their opinions on, on the topics that i discuss or the movies that i'm talking about 
and I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to, to meeting people from my community that, that uh, share the same passion of, of horror as I do, or even if you're not from, from my community, you, you might be, you know, if, if it's somebody that responds to this podcast and you're somewhere out there in, in Europe or whatever, I mean, hopefully, you know, hopefully this reaches that far. But um, you could always get a hold of me and, and, and give a suggestion like, hey, you know, talk, can you talk about this or, or how about this? And, and just keep in mind that I'm trying to bring the, the movies that are not so widely known or the more recent movies into the limelight, so to speak, because we all love the 80s slashers, the classic movies, you know, uh, Freddy's, Jason's, Michael's, etc. And I am gonna at some point discuss all of those, of course, because I, I have to, you know, it's my favorite, it's my bread and butter, you know. Uh, so eventually I, I would like to talk about those, but I also want to bring the other ones to the front because you might find something that, that you have overlooked because it's not as popular or because it's not as widely known or you're just not aware, you're not aware of that, that movie even existed. And hopefully you listen to the podcast and, and, and you become aware of those things and, and you go out and you watch the movie and you enjoy it, that's great. And if you don't enjoy it, I mean, whoops. <laughs> Sorry, bro. We all have our our, <laughs> our tastes here and there. Um, just to end things really quick, I want to give a shout out to the wonderful Belle for giving me the idea and encouragement to do this podcast. Thank you very much. I appreciate your input. You are awesome. Uh, and... You know, if, if any of you guys, like I said, give input or suggestions, I will more than gladly give you a shout out in this podcast so you can show it off to your friends. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to the next few episodes. I am already working on those and I'm really excited for the things that are coming. So until then, you have a great, great day, night, evening, early morning, whatever time it is where you're listening to this. Have a great time.